Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Political heavyweight Caitlyn Jenner can't believe that people voted for Gavin Newsom. And Sarah Silverman thinks we should split into two countries. Next on Vince and Jason Save the Nation. You know, so like, why don't we just finally just realize that this these states aren't working and like divide up into like two or three countries. I can't believe that this many people actually voted to keep him in office. So please get vaccinated. I wish I did it beforehand. The question is, who do you think is more dangerous for America, Trump or the Taliban? The answer actually has a name. Missing white woman syndrome. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. Welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. I'm Vince Colonnese. That's Jason Nichols. How you doing, Jason? <laughs> I'm doing good, brother. Good. We are together on a Friday show yet again. And this time we're going to take a look at some clips uh, that have been catching a lot of people's attention this week. Uh, one of them is uh, the comedian and actress Sarah Silverman, who was uh, on her own podcast uh, suggesting that uh, maybe the country is just too irreparably separated, that the left and the right can't come together anymore. And maybe it's time we split it up into two different countries. Here's Sarah Silverman explaining the thought. This may be a negative thought, but or maybe a positive one. I don't know. But if people aren't getting along, uh like in relationship, they break up, you know? So like, why don't we just finally just realize that this, these states aren't working and like divide up into like two or three countries of like USA one and USA two. And they can be USA one, like the conservatives can be USA one because they love being number one. And that it means something to them. And I'd love to have that be theirs. They can be USA one, we'll be USA two, and we'll be allies. And you'll come over here and we'll go over there. And, you know, when you come to certain, many times when you go to a different country, you have to get a vaccine. That's that. By the end of the question, by the end of my answer, I have no idea what the question was. I don't think I'm anywhere near it. <laughs> Sarah Silverman wants us to split up into two countries. Is that a good idea? Yeah, I mean, uh, that was tried before. Um, and I don't think it, it was necessarily a good idea. I mean, obviously, she's doing this tongue in cheek. And, and the thing is that uh, the truth is we do need to come together more. And that's, of course, why we're doing this. Uh, Vince and Jason Save the Nation brought to you by Gold Co. Uh, so, I, you know, I think um, it was a funny joke. Uh, but splitting into two nations tried before not a good look yeah i mean i think too I, I, honestly i kind of think she was serious to an extent i mean if it is in, at least in my ability to parse sarah silverman's uh uh tone it sounded to me like she was at least contemplating it even even if it's a joke there's some truth to her thought process right and i think what she's suggesting is that like look it's just we're too the gulf seems to be so vast between the right and the left, like there's these disagreements over putting how many genders there are and and how much the government should be involved in your life and how much personal liberty should 
should outpace uh, public health dictates and all of these things where it seems like we can't come to reasonable middle grounds. Uh, you know, even though you and I have these conversations multiple times a week uh, and trying to figure out, okay, where can we achieve some of this agreement? Um, a lot of people are like Sarah Silverman. They just think they, they, they can't envision living in the same country with people who disagree with them anymore. Yeah, I think that's really a sad thing. Um, I don't know there's ever been a time in history where we all agreed on something. Right. We've tried different modes of se- separation. Uh, we tried it, of course, in the, you know, uh, through, through Jim Crow because we thought we couldn't get along or we shouldn't be together. We tried it, you know, during uh, the Civil War. We tried, you know, splitting apart. And that's not the answer. The answer is, hey, sit down and actually work these things out, actually talk them out, actually figure out what's best for the public, what's what's safest for public health, what's uh, the best situation uh, for women's health and yes. all of the issues that we can't come together on. We're, we're just going to have to work it out. Sometimes, you know, it, it was like when we would when I used to play football and play is is kind of a strong word. I was on the team, but one of the things that, you know, our coaches would do if we would get in a fight on the field was we would have to be together and they would make us actually hold hands, go, you know, run like laps <laughs> holding hands. You know what I mean? I, and, I'm laughing. Would, I'm laughing because I, I've done this very thing. I've yeah. done this very thing. When I played football, I had the same experience. Yeah. I had the exact same experience. It's funny you say that. We got into a fist fight with another kid playing. I was like, what grade was I? 10th grade, I think. Fist fight on the football field. Coach yeah. made us hold hands and run a lap. <laughs> right. That's that's what they do. And, and you know, or, or sometimes, they'll, you know, make you get in a room together or stand there, you know, and sometimes you fight in the room. But yeah. by the time they open the door, you've worked whatever you have out. Yeah. Um, and you I don't think wanna, that's, and you don't want to be and you don't want to be in a position where you have to hold another football player's hand again. Right. It's just, right. You know, so so you're probably going to avoid fighting for that reason. It's not the damage to your face you're concerned about. It's the damage to your reputation. And, and I think it's it's a really good example of the fact that, you know, as Americans, we're on the same team. Yeah. It doesn't mean you like everybody on your team or you even respect everybody on your team. Not everybody is good on your team, but, you know, we're on the same team. We have to work this out if, yeah. if we have shared so- goals. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Sarah Silverman's position, though, if, if she's tr- if she's being honest about it. And there are people who are honest about this. They think that we should split up into different countries and have different states be a part of different countries. It, that is surrender. You're surrendering. You're giving up. You're not even trying to figure out how to communicate with the other people. You're not trying to influence them. You're just giving up. You've, you've decided uh, and, and maybe even just dehumanizing them to the point that you're like, yeah, whatever. You know what? Let them do their own thing. They can start their own country. We'll just start a bunch of a country of our own with a bunch of like minded people. We'll concentrate power into one political party. By the way, do you think that's going to go well? One yeah, party well, here, here's the thing. from now on forever. Here's here's the thing. How many times are you going to split? Because let's say you have a left of center USA, two. The progressives are going to think one way and then the, the more moderate. Yeah. Uh, leftists are going to feel one way and you're going to have to split again. That's right. The Tea Party people are going to split one way and then the MAGA heads are going to split one way and the more centrist conservatives are going to split another way. And then you're going to have three different countries within yeah. uh, USA one. So it just it just doesn't really it doesn't work out. You work out your issues. And guess what? There are always going to be some crazy people. You just have to yeah. live with that, particularly in a large country. But 
you know, us listening to each other, talking to each other, figuring out our issues. That is actually what has gotten us to be one of, you know, the most powerful nation on, on the planet. Yeah. And we're a nation of 330 million people. Uh, we're going to have different ideas. We have to live with that. But here's the, here's the other thing. Like if you're if your position now, now on the other side of this, if your position is like, hey, we should split up into a bunch of individual governments that handle the affairs of the people that live in that region. Guess what? That's what we do. We have a country of 50 states. Like <laughs> right. the whole point is to like that each state can make its own laws. Yeah. And so in some ways, maybe Sarah Silverman is making a good argument for federalism, that we stop having the federal government sort of impose grand um, impositions on individual states and let those states govern their affairs. I, yeah, mean, that I, is- I still don't think Sarah Silverman was being serious there. I think she was <laughs> she was joking around. She was like, look, these people are crazy. Uh-huh. They don't want to you know, they don't want to get vaccinated. You know, they don't want to save their own lives. They don't want to save our lives. You know, let's just separate from them. Uh, I think that was kind of the point she's making. But I think there's a better way to make that point. I think, uh, you know, of course, not to, you know, she's a comedian, so it's a little different. But, you know, I I would like to make strong cases for why, you know, if I think people should be vaccinated, I'm going to make a strong case for vaccination. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yes, hopefully you know, more people will be willing to do that. I mean, 75% of America is vaccinated, at least has one shot. So largely there is a consensus around it. So yeah. uh, I think we need to recognize that as well. Yeah. Influence through communication and trust, not dictates. I don't think, Absolutely. I think I, I, that's my position, at least. I think we agree. Yeah, um, largely, are, but. All right. Let's, let's jump into another issue here. We've got uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Remember Caitlyn Jenner, uh, formerly <laughs> yes, Bruce Jenner, who uh, ran for uh, governor in California as a part of this recall election, uh, expressing uh, some real discontent over the fact that Gavin Newsom survived the recall. Here's Caitlyn Jenner. I can't believe that this many people actually voted to keep him in office. <laughs> I can't help but admit I agree with Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with Caitlin. Um, number one, you can't believe it in a state that's two to one Democrat to Republican. Like, mm-hmm. how can you not believe that? You know, particularly when the alternative was Larry Elder, someone who people think is is more extreme to the right. And Caitlyn Jenner, you know, the, the reality show star. I mean, of course, uh, formerly a gold medalist uh you know runner but i don't know what how that qualifies you to be you know anything and reality show stars though we do like them in positions of leadership conservatives seem to like them in positions of leadership uh, i don't think it necessarily qualifies you for anything so the reason gavin newsom got reelected was because his campaign ran a really good race in making it not about gavin newsom that's the thing they did yeah. the smart thing was yeah, we don't have to run on our accomplishments. Let's run on the crazy things that you said. And, they're, you know, including, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, who I think made a comment that, uh, you know, something about uh, homeless people and people being upset that they had homeless people, you know, anywhere. And, you know, I don't remember the exact comment, but I remember being like, whoa. That's not something that you want to say. You showed but, absolutely no empathy. But don't you don't you think you're kind of making the same point that Caitlyn Jenner's making, which is like, like, shouldn't Gavin Newsom, if he's you know in a in a in a appropriate world of politics, you should be able to run on your successes as the incumbent. You should be able to point to your record and say, yes, I should stay in office. 
And that's not what Gavin Newsom did. Gavin Newsom decided to use Larry Elder's prominence in his opposition as the way that he was going to win this thing. He, they brought in, they flew in, of course, uh, all these top Democrats and got advertisements cut by all these top Democrats to support him and get people energized to go out and vote. But it wasn't on the basis of his record. It was on the basis of attacking Larry Elder. And so Caitlyn Jenner is making, I think, a point that shouldn't be necessarily tied to any political party, which is it's interesting that Gavin Newsom is not running on success because he doesn't have success to point to. And uh, that's a disappointing uh, situation. Yeah. So that's that's debatable. I mean, um, some people were upset with Gavin Newsom about his hypocrisy with COVID and COVID restrictions. But when we look at their situation or the situation in California versus the situation in other large states like Florida, Texas, and certainly throughout the South, Alabama, Arkansas, um, you know, he made the argument. Part of the argument was that his restrictions for COVID worked, whereas these countries lack or these countries. I'm thinking Sarah Silverman again. <laughs> uh, these states that their lack of restrictions failed. And so I think California's voters kind of were like, all right, he has a point. I mean, we didn't like the fact that he went to the restaurant without a mask and is living like a socialite. Um, but yeah. at, at the end of the day, what he did actually made it so that, you know, I can get uh, treatment for my heart disease at the hospital and it's not overrun with COVID patients like it is in Mississippi, like it is in Alabama, like it is in uh, in Florida in uh, you know, comparable states like Florida and Texas. So I think, you know, he made that argument. But I, I agree. You and I have talked about this at length, mm -hmm. uh, both on and off camera, that they ran a smart campaign. Not only did they bring in the big heavyweights who didn't want to lose California, but also they made it about Larry Elder right. and to a lesser extent, you know, because Larry Elder doesn't have any political accomplishments to run on either. Neither does Caitlyn Jenner because they're not politicians. So they don't have accomplishments to run on. And, you know, the other right, because candidates they're not the incumbent. Did, yeah, right. But the other candidates who did, there were some who like uh, forgot his name, but he was the mayor of San Diego. He mm -hmm. has political accomplishments he could run on, but he wasn't a high profile candidate. And so there were people who could say, look, I've done it right in my city or I've done it right here and I've done it right for millions of Californians. Yeah. Uh, and Gavin Newsom has done things wrong. Uh, but those people weren't prominent, uh, prominent in this race. So you had Caitlyn Jenner, the reality star, yeah. and it's pretty easy to run against her. She has no accomplishments and she's done, you know, in, in the political realm. Of course, if you want to watch that documentary about her in the, in the uh, Olympics, yo, I was so fired up. It's awesome. You know, uh, about Bruce running in the in the Olympics. It was an amazing documentary. Um, but other than that, she doesn't have any political accomplishments to say I'm better than Gavin Newsom because I've done this, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that that was a, a big part of it. Yeah. I just wanted to see Gavin Newsom to go down because I, I felt like it was an opportunity to, to brush back this class hierarchy thing we have going on in the country. Where yeah, but we Caitlyn like Jenner's not the one to do that. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> like, no, no, I'm not. Look, I'm not even throwing an endorsement down for, for Jenner. I'm just saying that for Gavin Newsom, it's like kind of the same thing we've seen at all of these events, like the Met Gala, the Emmys, people not wearing masks and having servants around them wear masks. And there's rules that don't apply to them because they're rich or have access, you know, and it's just like, 
Really? I mean, this is the system we've built. And and I've said it before. I'll say it again. And it's not, not a phrase that I've coined, but I love it. Uh, it's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. The reason that they can get away with it is that they exist on a different plane than the rest of us. So uh, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I just think that it was it was an opportunity. I was looking at that California recall. It's not like you know, if you vote Gavin Newsom out of office, all of a sudden the state is going to become wildly Republican. No, you'd still have the state legislature in the way the voters themselves are Democrat uh, majority, the strong majority. Um, so there's that. But I just thought that it was a good a good uh, opportunity to brush back behavior that is unbecoming of leadership who uh, try and force rules on the populace that they don't themselves live through. Yeah, I mean, you can make that argument, you know, all the way uh, to the previous White House, you know, but we don't want to we don't want to make it about that. But um, I will say that uh, if you're going to make it class warfare, then, you know, millionaires like Caitlyn Jenner and Larry Elder are not the people that you should put up there. And people that say that there shouldn't be a minimum wage or a minimum wage should be zero. Those are not the people if you're trying to make a class argument. Now, as far as the Met Gala, I'm not sure I always wondered about that because I, I don't I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I know that they had a vaccine mandate. So people who were there were all vaccinated. But the the staff, I'm not sure that they had a vaccine mandate. So that's maybe why they wanted the staff to wear well, masks. It's New it's York, because right? They are not they're not vaccinated. Yeah, it's New York, right? So because of that, I believe de Blasio's order would have forced them all to be vaccinated anyway. But was I, that was was that in I don't think that was in place by the time the Met Gala occurred. Correct. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm anyway, just but look, I, I'm pretty certain everybody there was vaccinated, but it's a huge I mean, look, the deal is the deal is like, you know, again, the help was masked up. I mean, even like even like the guy carrying AOC's dress train had to like have a mask on and, you know, an AOC is out there. I just you know, it's just. Anyway, it's just it's outrageous, I think. I mean, it's like yeah. like we we really do have like a class divide going on and uh, we're pretending like I don't think we're necessarily all pretending, but I think some corners of the press have been pretending like it's irrelevant. I don't think it's irrelevant. I think it matters. Right. I think people see that and they feel like, man, what is going on with my country? No, I, I agree. So let's let's move on to that next clip. And uh... got all right, let's take a look here. What's uh, in this next clip? We've got. Uh, Oh, this is Australia, where um, a couple of people from their hospital beds while wearing uh, like oxygen, you can see the oxygen in their, in their nostrils and are basically recovering from COVID, suffering a bout of COVID uh, on camera. And they say that they wish they had gotten vaccinated. They're, they're using their illness as an expression that other people should get vaccinated to prevent the outcome that they're now facing. Um, and what happened in Australia is a bunch of people started suggesting these were not real patients. They were crisis actors. Take a look. This is real, and this is for, you know, Australia, the whole of Australia. You know, all I can think about is my children that I haven't seen in a very time. And this is for them. It's had a really huge impact on your family. You, you're not able to look after your kids at the moment. I haven't been working. Like, I'm a single mom. It's not easy. Hello, I'm Paul Barry. Welcome to Media Watch. And that was single mum Ramona, one of 700 COVID patients hospitalised in Australia at the end of last month, who, along with two others in Sydney's Concord Hospital, was keen to warn people of the dangers of COVID by sharing heartbreaking stories about their illness from their hospital beds. So please get vaccinated. 
I wish I'd get it beforehand. Shortness in breath, something attacking the the lungs. It was it was harsh. Footage of those patients, identified only by their first names, was recorded by Dr Lucy Morgan and released by New South Wales Health and made it onto all the major networks, including ABC News, 10 News First and 7 News. But soon, people on social media were wondering if the New South Wales Health video was actually a fake. And among the sceptics was former One Nation Senator Rod Cullerton, whose post received thousands of likes and another former senator, David Lionhelm. And one intrepid TikToker who went digging was able to reveal... I found all three actors. Now, how can this be coincidental? Yes, all three, including Ramona, were supposedly paid crisis actors who did not have COVID at all. And another internet sleuth then set out to prove it, ringing Concord Hospital to show that Ramona Khoury was not a patient there. Hello, is this Concord Hospital? Um, hi, it's John Curry. I'm just uh, looking for my wife. Hey, uh, Ramona Curry. I just can't see anyone with that surname. Well, bingo. That video, which TikTok only removed today, had nearly 800,000 views. All right, the claim crisis actors in Australia. Now, in that package, they go on uh, to, to say that, no, the people are real, and they were able to... Uh, verify all of their identities. They genuinely had COVID and they were genuinely in those hospitals. But suspicion on the internet, Jason, informed a, an attempt to say, no, these were crisis actors. Yeah, that's that's really scary. And I, and I hope that people watch uh, this part of the discussion and what you just said is that those people actually were real people. They actually were in the hospital with COVID. Yeah. Um, and certainly here in the United States, we have plenty of examples and most Americans know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who has lost someone to COVID. Um, <clears throat> I think it's what, one in every 500 people uh, has died of COVID in the United States right now. So it's, it's, it's a big problem. And if there were crisis actors, that would be a real big embarrassment because it's really not hard to find people who are sick with COVID, who would be willing to tell you, look, this is not a game. This is not a joke. You know, I could lose my life. I could mm -hmm. not see my family again. We've seen that over and over again. Yeah. Even some of the people who are the biggest skeptics of uh, the, the whole entire pandemic uh, who lost their lives, some of these conservative talking heads, you know, their, some of their last messages were get vaccinated. This is not a joke. So, you know, the, the whole internet sleuth thing, um, sometimes it works. A whole lot of times it falls short That's true. And, and creates these scary, um, you know, kind of conspiracies that go. That's around. true. You know, I blame uh, the government here. I blame the Australian government in particular here for fomenting this kind of distrust because they have just been the most tyrannical, overzealous, uh, highly publicized tyranny when it comes to the reaction to COVID within their country. Uh, the idea that they're like placing manhunts on uh, people who have COVID, who left their apartment building, who are making it so that you have to stay, you know, at your home and you're not allowed to leave. They're like following professional rugby players around the country. The cops are out beating down people in the street for not wearing their masks or violating curfews. Uh, it's just gotten completely out of control in Australia. And so I would say that that overzealous, heavy handed response has breeded in 
the Australian population, a resentment that manifests itself in this kind of distrust when they're like, I don't even believe what I'm seeing on TV because the government is acting this crazy. And so they start checking things and figuring out, is this person an actor? Are they a real person? Right. Uh, I know I, I can easily sense where that distrust comes from. It comes from a government acting with, I think, lunatic behavior towards so, its own populace. So, Vince, this this is kind of a broader question real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there are in many states and some states are working to repeal these, but laws that if you know you have a communicable disease and you still engage in behavior that could spread that disease, right? that you are criminally liable. Are you somebody who is for repealing those laws? So largely they have to do with HIV. If you have yes. HIV um, and you still are, and you do not inform the person that you are with that you have HIV, that you are criminally liable and you will go to prison for that. Regardless mm -hmm. of the fact that there are drugs now that you can take where you literally can't give the disease to someone. It's not even like COVID. You know, we're talking about something where you literally cannot transfer or, or transmit that disease if you are taking the medication and taking it properly. Is that true? You can, you can keep yourself from transmitting HIV by taking a medication? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, Magic Johnson is probably having unprotected sex with his wife. He, he right. can, because he can't, the, the viral load is so low in his hmm. body that he can't transmit it. You know what I mean? Like it's so low. It's not that he doesn't have it. He hasn't been cured. And if he stopped taking the medication, of course it would rise again. But the viral load is so low that he can, he literally cannot transmit. That's fascinating. Disease. Well, to, to answer your question, um, I don't know. So, so let me start from this point. Human decency dictates that anytime that you might put someone else at risk, that you should disclose that. Uh, so I think that just as a basic, that's a, that's what we call a normative standard. What ought you do? Uh, and you should, yeah, you should inform people, especially if you have HIV and you're going to have sex with them. Like you should probably let on that you have HIV. That's a, that's a decent thing to do. Um, yeah, that's said the other part of this, sure. the, the other part of this is, uh, I think there's a huge level in severity of outcome, uh, difference between HIV and COVID. I'm not certain of that, but I, I would assume there is, I mean, a lot of people, millions, many millions of people have gotten COVID and get very mild cases. Um, and you know, especially the more people who are actually vaccinated in the population, the more people who have natural immunity, um, the, the better. And, and I think what's going to happen is you're going to see, and we've, we've heard from scientists suggesting it's happening this way already, that it's going to get harder and harder for severe disease to find its way into the population. And that's a good thing. Um, you know, it's like, so yes, have we treated HIV and aggressive flus differently in the past? Yeah, we have. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a crystal clear answer for you on, on that. I do think that there is you know, there is a human obligation, though, to um, try and prevent other people from being imperiled. And that's the that is the correct and decent thing to do. But as we make these risk calculations, you can't stop living your life entirely because the threat of COVID exists. I mean, Australia locking somebody into their home um, because of the existence of COVID is a heavy handed uh, response that is not commensurate with the nature of the threat. Yeah, no, I uh, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, 
most people, if you get tested for HIV, you will, and, and, and you get treated, you know, uh, you're going to survive. It's just going to, it's going to be costly. It's going to be, you know, it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to survive largely. It's the people that don't know they have it, um, which is the danger of not telling somebody. Right. Um, because if, if they, you know, if you're in a risky situation, but, you know, of course, if you're going to sleep with somebody, you could tell them, you know, what's going on. I, I think with COVID, if you have COVID, you also have a responsibility. If you know you have COVID. Yeah. To tell someone I have COVID. Right. And actually, you have a responsibility to avoid people. Now, the question is, should there be a criminal penalty for spreading a communicable disease? And I'm, I'm leaning no, but I'm, you know, I'm well, going to, if you're I, ignorant, I it's difficult. If you're ignorant of your own infection, then no, there should not be a criminal penalty. So like somebody right. who doesn't know they have HIV, who spreads HIV, like I can't imagine a, a world in which you would want to punish that person. Like what? They're, they don't even know they have it. The same would be true of someone with COVID. So on that standard, I think it's crystal clear. Right, right. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that there is, uh, you know, there, there's conversation to be had about all of this in terms of, you know, of course, uh, the safe thing to do uh, if you're having unprotected sex is to have protected sex, um, in, unless you're married or aiming to have a kid or whatever it is, um, and, or you are 100% monogamous and honest with, with a person. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with wearing a mask. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, it's something that, that keeps people safe and keeps yourself safe. Yes. Um, and, and it's something that we certainly highly would advise. Now, you know, no one's going to bust into your bedroom if you don't wear a condom. So, you know, I, I don't think that we should be beating people up on yeah. the streets. But should you, you know, could you get a fine, you know, because there are people around that that could, you know, be imperiled by you, uh, you know, you not wearing your mask and, mm-hmm. and, you know, perhaps you're asymptomatic. I think that that is an issue and, and something that, you know, the Australian government has to talk about. But this let's move been- on. This has been another episode of High School Health Class with Dr. Jason Nichols. All right, you're right. It's it's health ethics. That's right. Let's 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 move on. You're right to uh, first of all, this fact, Vincent Jason Save the Nation brought to you by Gold Co. We appreciate our sponsor. And as we jump in here, we've got another clip for you. This is uh, uh, Noah Pincus, uh, one of the Daily Callers reporters, went into the streets of Manhattan and asked people, who is the bigger threat to the United States? Is it Donald Trump? Or the Taliban? Some interesting answers on the streets of New York. The question is, who do you think is more dangerous for America, Trump or the Taliban? Trump. Why do you say Trump? Because he's racist. I'm going to say Trump is probably more dangerous for America right now. Do you think the Taliban is racist? Yeah, but Trump is, like, in our country. Trump or the Taliban? The Taliban. I think Trump was one of the great, greatest presidents that we ever had. Right now, we have the worst president that we ever had right now. Now, you team the two together. If he can sell the Taliban his snake oil, we're just screwed. Trump. A direct relation to, like, I mean, he's impacting people right now. You're not afraid of, like, a terrorist attack from the Taliban? 
I mean, I'm worried, more, more worried about a terrorist attack from Trump supporters than I am the Taliban. Oh, sh**. Um, Trump. I would say Trump. Trump is more dangerous for Americans to themselves, so internally dangerous. The Taliban, I believe, is more dangerous externally. Who do you think is more dangerous for women's rights? Oh, I think they're equally pretty dangerous on that end. What do you think about, like, the Sharia law going on in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Afghanistan now? I, I must admit I don't know much about about it. I need to look into it. Um, both are pretty bad. If you had to choose one, I mean, obviously the Taliban. I would say more Trump. He has that power and a lot of people, there's a lot of delusional people that go with him. So, and, and it's domestic. So you never, so I would have to lean with Trump, but they're both uh, threats. Christian or Jew or any other religion, if you say anything bad about them, okay, maybe they'll say, but with a Muslim, you can possibly be killed. Trump was who he was, you know, and what can you say? Trump? Wait, wait, Trump right now or like Trump when he was in office? Trump right now. Trump? Maybe Trump because he's like in America. Also, the Taliban's just kind of none of my business right now. And so like, what is their stance on, on women's rights and reproductive rights? I don't know. I'm going to assume it's not good. I'm going to assume I disagree with it. I would look into it. But I would probably look into it, yeah. You're really like comparing shit with shit. Well, I think the Taliban, I don't think Trump is that dangerous. I just think everybody just misunderstands him and he's probably very strict with his stuff. You're not afraid of like the Trump insurrection? Not really. All right, Trump or the uh, Taliban? <laughs> it was an amazing <laughs> question uh, on the on the streets of New York. Uh, Jason, uh, you you think there was some nuance here to some of those answers? Yeah, I, I think some people. You know, one person said Trump domestically, mm-hmm. uh, the Taliban internationally. You know, and and it's kind of a really vague question because I think a lot of people when when you hear that question, you're going to think, oh, um, you know, terror attacks. And the Taliban is not directly, directly responsible for any terror attacks that, I, that I'm particularly aware of. Uh, we have seen, for example, and there's, there's a, a professor out of Texas A&M whose name is Eil Feinberg, and he published a report uh, that showed that there was uh, every county, in counties where there was a Trump rally, that there was a 226% uh, rise in hate crimes versus uh, counties that didn't have a Trump rally. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's causal. Let, let's be clear. Yeah. But, and you know, by the way, I remember that study. Up, I remember that study. On, there, was, there was an equal corollary at Hillary Clinton rallies, too. Yeah. No, 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 no. But there was. There, was a, there was a hate. The other thing was um, that there were, you know, hate crimes went up to a 16 year high in 2018. And that was a study rise after 2016, 17. I think a lot of people remember Charlotte's Charlottesville, um, where those people were, you know, basically out there saying hail Trump. There were, uh, of course, people who remember January 6th. When you ask the people from January 6th what they who were they there supporting and who inspired them, they said it was Donald Trump. Uh, You know, so I, I think that there is at least at the very least a strong argument that someone can make that as far as domestic issues, you know, there's the guy who shot up the Walmart in uh, in Texas, in El Paso. Um, I, I think that there is at least an argument domestically that, you know, Trump inspires a certain level of uh, extreme or reactionary behavior. Um, you can make an argument for that. And then, you know, on the other side, the Taliban, 
you know, the Taliban is worried about Afghanistan. They're not necessarily, I don't know of any terror attack, even by extremist Muslims on our homeland here in the United States, where someone has said, I was inspired by the Taliban, or uh, it was Mullah, you know, whomever that inspired me. And he's a member of the Taliban. And I've been listening to his lectures or reading his, you know, his uh, tweets or whatever it is. Um, now, if you want to talk about them harboring terrorists, uh, yeah, that's that could be true. But, you know, other states do that, some of which are our allies. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a, a really vague question. And I think people gave some, you know, as far as man on the street interviews, like I watched like Jordan Klepper. I think it's always ridiculous because we do these man on the street interviews and then we have one side you know, like the Jordan Kleppers of the world, who I enjoy and I think is funny. It's like, look how stupid that side is. And then we have the other side and they're like, look how stupid the other side is. Man on the Street interviews, of course, it's how you edit it. And I think this was a pretty fair edit, to be honest. And a lot of those answers were pretty nuanced both on both sides. So, but it was, it was how they interpreted the question. So I thought it was, I thought, you know, it didn't really make people look crazy. I think it was... Well, of course it was fair. It was a daily caller video. We just we just put it together. Um, so so thank you for that compliment. But uh, but the the other part here is um, uh, you know assessing a, kind of a couple of things that you just said. One on the on the issue of like the Taliban and terror threats. I mean, like you're not of course discounting 9-11, 9-11 and and the role that Al Qaeda and Tal- the Taliban is being as intertwined Whoa. as they were. Nine eleven, mm-hmm. those people were Saudis. Yes, they were. They were so where was Osama bin Laden? And, and, and the, no, the, the Taliban, of course, gave them safe harbor, but they were not the the you know the inspiration for that terror attack. Osama bin Laden was, you know, Al Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, who is a Saudi. So I, I think it's 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 a little disingenuous for us to say that the Taliban, you know, attacked us. It wasn't the Taliban who attacked us, they gave safe harbor to the people who attacked us. But the people who attacked us largely, what was it, 13 or 15 of them yeah, were, were, were Saudis. ethnic Saudis. Yes. Yes, I agree. I'm just saying that, you know, the Taliban played a uh, not inconsequential role in the events that led up to the attack. An indirect on, on the, one, yes. Uh, indirect. On the United States. And, um, and, and right now, you know, represent a true and present threat to Americans who are living in Afghanistan, still trying to get out, uh, which continues to be a, a crisis for right. us. Which is um, why I said it, it depends on how you interpret the question. But the other because side, I, I interpret that to mean the domestic homeland. That's the way I interpret it. Yeah, and let's hope and let's hope they don't represent a threat uh, to the domestic homeland. Uh, there's a lot of I think hoping going on with that on that front. Um, on the other side, the idea that Trump is like any sort of meaningful threat to the United States, uh, I think is is untrue, uh, uh, and for, I think for a bunch of obvious reasons. Um, among them, it's like you know none of these like you you cited some shooters and things. Like the idea that like Trump is responsible for any of their behavior, it just not even not even close. And yeah. and, and as a matter of fact, and some of the those like shooters and their manifestos and things that we've seen through the years, they they expressed anti-Trump resentment uh, among the rest of their insane ideas that led them uh, to conduct horrific acts of violence. All of which, by the way, uh, Donald Trump condemned while he was president of the United States. So. Then there's there's January 6th. I don't you know, I think some people have a lot of people have used pretty hysterical language to refer to the riot in the Capitol building um, as that was not an act of terrorism. The group 
didn't kill anybody. Uh, the, no, they, the one they homicide. Just... No, go ahead. Sorry. The one go homicide ahead. that took place was uh, one of the rioters. Ashley Babbitt was shot dead by a Capitol Police officer. Uh, and this, I, I think people, those people who think that Trump is some sort of threat, they, they, they misunderstand sort of what Trump is um, as a person, as an individual. First of all, Trump is an expression of the discontent that a wide swath of the American public has for the status quo. This is why Trump gets elected in the first place. A country where everything is going well doesn't turn to a complete outsider, reality star, billionaire businessman like Donald Trump. They don't choose him. In other words, a healthy country wouldn't have had to turn to Donald Trump. An unhealthy country, one that has a deep sickness and one where the status quo uh, has ill served them is turning to a big deal alternative. Like, okay, we just need to go completely outside the norm here and pick somebody different who is expressing that resentment, who's who's basically channeling that resentment for how ill-served we have been by Washington. This is how he gets elected, right, in 2016. So, you know, when people look around and they're like, oh, oh those people are uh, upset with the government and Trump made them that way. No, I think Trump was an expression of their the people who yeah. already have discontent towards the government. Yeah. I'm not talking about terrorism or anything like that. I'm talking about people who just resist the status quo establishment power in Washington. No, I, I, I think that, you know, um, a lot of what you said is correct. I think you make uh, really good points when it comes to the fact that Trump is not the cause in a lot of cases. He's the symptom. But, um, you know, it, it's all about I think symbols inspire people to action. And I'm not blaming Donald Trump. If someone hears me and says, you know, uh, Jason Nichols inspired me to go, you know, uh, kidnap a, a MAGA person. <laughs> like, you know, you, you're probably taking my words out of context or not understanding what I'm saying. <laughs> probably. You know, so don't, don't hedge. <laughs> you're probably taking my words out of context. No, you, you, you are absolutely, be. you are absolutely <laughs> taking my words out of context. I'm, I'm the most anti-violence person. Like, like Trump said, I'm the most Anti-race? No, he didn't say anti-racist. I am the least racist person. Uh, I, I am totally anti-violence. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I think symbols do inspire people. So I think again, it's how the question is asked, how people interpret that question. And I think most mm -hmm. people were thinking uh, danger to Americans here in the United States. And I think the Taliban, as we said, they want they want legitimacy. They want uh, people to recognize them as a nation uh, and going and bombing Americans is not the way to yeah. go about that. So let, right, well, let's, yeah. Let, let me ask you then, I'm going to show you a video clip of some Taliban guys uh, after they took control of everything <laughs> inside of Afghanistan. You tell me, are these the type of people who you think should be running a government? Take a look. <laughs>
Well, Jason, that's who we surrendered to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they're trying to stay fit and ready in, in case something else uh, happens. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, you see uh, where your tax dollars were going in terms of building up infrastructure in, in, in uh, Afghanistan. You see they, they got them bumper cars and swan right. boats. You know, it's just really awesome stuff. And they got them a plan of fitness. I mean, it's amazing. Yes, um, that's right. A judgment-free and, zone. And before... <laughs> And before we make fun of them, uh-huh. uh, have you ever seen Ted Cruz work out? Ted uh, Cruz. Didn't he pro- beat Jimmy Kimmel in a basketball game? Yeah. Did you watch that basketball game? I think I, I did. I don't remember every detail, but yeah, you know, it was, I don't uh, know why he did it actually, because it was like, really, you're going like, to go on like a televised thing against a comedian who's going to make a mockery of you the entire time. I, I just can't envision that going well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I will say this. Um, if Ted Cruz is what America has to offer, we're probably going to get be surrendering to a lot of people um, looking at guys like Ted Cruz and, uh, and others work out. Um, but I do no, think I mean, the beard, I think the beard helped him a lot, though. It helped him so much. Yeah, so you know, it gave him a jawline. It was like, you know, I mean, but him- but uh, Don Jr. too. Don Jr.'s beard gave him a jawline. He didn't have a jawline prior. You know, now the he's beard's a good it. look. Yeah, yeah, beards are good. I, I'm, I'm trying to grow mine. You know what I mean? I have a jawline, by the way, just in case anybody. <laughs> my jaw was there. It's always been there. Solid chin. Yeah, that's the key. All right, all right. So that was the Taliban uh, giving us a good laugh. I, I think that's, uh, that's the last time we're going to see footage out of Afghanistan. So we may as well enjoy it. Uh, let's take, let's take a look at some other things here. We got Joy Reid uh, talking about the coverage of Gabby Petito. Uh, yes. Uh, so Gabby Petito is the uh, 22-year-old uh, Florida native uh, who went missing recently. Her body discovered uh, in Wyoming by the FBI. They've confirmed it is her body. Uh, and now, as we speak, her boyfriend remains apparently on the run. He was he was around for a little bit, and then he disappeared. And now now there's a search for him going on. Uh, take a look at the way that Joy Reid discussed this story on MSNBC this week. If you've been watching the news for the past few days or on Twitter or, or TikTok, you're probably familiar with the name Gabby Petito, the 22-year-old aspiring social media influencer who was reported missing after her fiancé returned from their van life excursion without her. On Sunday, human remains believed to be Petitos were found in a national park in Wyoming. No family should ever have to endure that kind of pain. And the Petito family certainly deserves answers and justice. But the way this story has captivated the nation has many wondering, why not the same media attention when people of color go missing? Well, the answer actually has a name, missing white woman syndrome, the term coined by the late and great Gwen Eiffel to describe the media and public fascination with missing white women like Lacey Peterson or Natalie Holloway while ignoring cases involving missing people of color. Daniel Robinson uh, is a young black man. He's only 24 years old, five foot eight, 165, black hair, brown eyes. That's his description. His dad has hired a private investigator to find him. Um, he's missing part of an arm. He was last seen driving away from his job site in the Buckeye, Arizona desert on June 23rd. And his case struck me because it's, it's very similar. He's missing in a, this, you know, the same part of the world. Um, it's a case that 
it has all of that same kind of sizzle, this sort of mystery of it, this young man uh, who just goes missing. Mary Chris and husband Richard Julier have spent every day for nine months looking for Maya Miliete. Please come and help us. Um, bring Maya home and, you know, uh, we need more eyes and boots out there. Their hearts going out to the family of Gabby Petito, who was the subject of an intense search in Florida. Her body discovered Sunday in a national park in Wyoming by law enforcement who spent the weekend scouring campsites. We just wish we had the same um, urgency as, you know, as, you Gab know, Gabby. as Gabby. All right. So <laughs> get a number of families who I wish they got the same media attention as Gabby Petito. Hard to disagree with them. I mean, of course, yeah. they, they want to find their missing loved one. They'd like a lot of attention on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why there was a big freak out um, about uh, what Joy Reid said and, and certainly about the families who have come forward and said, you know, hey, my loved one has been missing. Uh, mm -hmm. e even the speed with which the process works. So we know Gabby Petito's remains, when they were found, they were confirmed to be her within 24 hours. Uh, there was another young man whose name was Jelani Day, a young African-American man, and it took them 19 days to tell the family that, his, that it was indeed his body that they had encountered. You know, why does it take, you know, more than three weeks, you know, or almost three weeks uh, rather than, you know, the 24 hours that it took for Gabby Petito. Now, I do think it is uh, fair to point out that Gabby Petito was a social media influencer. Like, so she had a big social media following. I think she had 50,000 followers, like on TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's so much to be said about this. I, I hope maybe we can expand upon this in, in our Monday show. But in terms of missing white woman syndrome, um, you know, I understand whenever you bring up race, you know, a lot of times people on the right start to freak out. But we also have to remember that 710 indigenous women are missing or largely women are missing in the Wyoming area where Gabby Petito was located. Um, but you don't know their names. It's not an indictment of Gabby Petito. Everyone believes she deserves justice and coverage. It's mm -hmm. not it's not saying anything bad about Gabby Petito. It's talking about the media, which you and I criticize all the time. Yep, I agree. And the way we value, you know, certain people's lives, black and brown and red lives are not valued in the same way, according to the media. I can tell you one other example. If you remember in Cleveland, Ariel Castro, uh, he was the guy who kidnapped Amanda Berry. And it was a big deal when they found Amanda Berry. Right. And, you know, it was like the guy with the with the crazy afro and another guy kicked in the door and they found mm -hmm. Amanda Berry. Amanda Berry was with two other young women, but no one knows their names. Everyone knows Amanda Berry. Those two other young women were Puerto Rican, but we don't. But their names aren't plastered everywhere. It was Amanda Berry, Amanda Berry, Amanda Berry. Um, we all know Jean Benet Ramsey. We all know Elizabeth Smart. We mm -hmm. all know Chandra Levy. Natalie Holloway was the number one story in 2005. You know what else happened in 2005? Hurricane Katrina. Natalie Holloway was the most covered story on the internet in 2005. Fact check it. More than Hurricane Katrina and more than a tsunami that killed like 10,000 people in Asia. So there is this fascination that the media has, and it's not a right wing thing or a left wing thing. It is a media thing. We value right. certain lives more than others. And I think it's important 
Now we point that out and they're, you know, 40% of the, the women who are human trafficked are black women. Mm-hmm. So much, so much of this happens and they don't, their families don't get the same satisfaction of knowing yeah. that the entire populace is searching for them. As, as actually, as a matter of distribution and like percentages, it's, it's more rare for a white woman to go missing than it is a black woman. Uh, right. it's, it's a much higher percentage of black women uh, become missing in person cases. Yeah, Native um, Americans. And then there's the, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot here. The idea that the media, to include Joy Reid, is in the position of criticizing this disparity. It's not Joy Reid. Joy Reid's not the only person who did this this week, by the way. There were a number of other media outlets who said who used this, invoked this idea that there's a missing white woman syndrome. You're like, really? You're gonna you have the audacity to do a segment like this when you never do a segment on a missing black person? Like you're you've never been like up until the point that it's useful for you to make this comparison. Like spare me, spare me. You you've got the microphone, you've got the um uh the ability to to get those messages out there, and you're not. So stop like criticizing everybody else. This is like that Spider Man meme where they're both pointing at each other. Mm-hmm. Like, how come yeah. you don't ever cover black people who are missing? You're like, you're the same. You're the media. What are you talking about? Um. So there's that. The other is for you know to pull back for a moment. You know, Joy Reid referenced a 24, uh, 24 year old uh, man who is missing and he's not getting all the same attention as Gabby Petito. One of the reasons for that seems a little obvious to me. You know, the media likes to pick things that are extremes, right? It's hyperbole. It's like, you, you know, that's they kind of lean on stories that have like the most shock value that they can possibly get get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a, a young man being missing, an adult man being missing is really, it doesn't have that snap, right? It's like not the kind of thing that they're going to run with because it's just not an extreme case. You know, you can probably think it to yourself like, well, a young man's got a better chance of fighting for himself. And, and, you know, that kind of thing is stronger than a woman, whereas a woman is helpless and she, and she's out there and blah, blah, blah. There's video of this, obviously there's what we call elements in the media there are video elements here. So there's body camera footage of Gabby Petito. You can see her. She's crying. She's, you know, emotional out. And when the cops pull her over, she's pretty, which plays a role in this. Like, so, you know, if you're, if the better looking you are, if you go missing, that's, you know, I don't, I don't, is this, you know, is it forbidden to mention that? That's the reason people do this. I mean, you talk about John Benet Ramsey, right? This little cute little girl with the, with the, uh, with the curls and stuff. Of course, everyone looks at this picture and they're like, oh my God, that poor little girl is missing. What is going on? So, yeah, but I, I find little black girls to be cute too. Yeah. And, okay. and they don't they don't get, you know, maybe because they're not blonde and blue-eyed and have the curls and all of that. Uh, I find a lot of black women to be to be attractive as well. But yeah, for some reason, America doesn't seem to think so. And I think that's the frustrating thing for a lot of people. And I will say the black media. Um, which doesn't, you know, I guess isn't the mainstream media, but the black media, Jet Magazine used to do, I used to actually assign a piece, you know, about this very thing and them highlighting young black people who have gone missing. Mm -hmm. And there is local news that talks about young black women going missing and not just black, but Native American women. Large numbers of Native American women have gone missing, have been sexually assaulted, have been murdered. And yet there's not this outcry and we don't know their names i to this day and and i'm a, i'm ashamed to say this i don't know their names now you know what i mean like even with all of this well you don't, don't have to be ashamed to say it the, the reality is like the media only picks and chooses elevates a couple 
and then spends a lot of time focusing on it. So, for and so our, we learn the details. For our audience, I just want y'all to listen to me right now and, and understand where I'm coming from. This is why Black people say Black lives matter because they don't feel that their lives are given the same value. This is the point. You know what I mean? It's not just about police shootings and all. It's these types of situations. If my daughter goes missing, they're not going to publicize. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about this, but they're not going to publicize this the same way. They're not going to have people all over the world looking for my daughter, but they will for Natalie Holloway. And there's nothing wrong with Natalie Holloway. And I wanted them to find her. Mm-hmm. It was it was a tragedy. I also think there's a class element with Natalie Holloway because she went on her senior class trip to Aruba. You know, I went to a pretty elite high school and we went to our senior class uh, trip was to Ocean City, Maryland. I think so, I went like, to an arcade. I think we were allowed to go play <laughs> video games or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a class element to that as well. You know, when you have wealthy people who can who yeah. will advocate for you. I think that that's, that's right. If you're connected to the media, if you're connected to the, the levers of power, it makes it right. more likely that your story and can Fox find Fox News a jumped all over that. But there, there's also this race element where it's like, my daughter is not going to get that kind of coverage. My son most definitely is not going to get that kind of coverage. And I love my son just like Gabby Petito's father loves her. Right. You know? Right. And, and of course, a lot of this, you're right. She was having mental health issues. Um, apparently she was having a mental health breakdown during that time. And this is another argument we or not argument, but discussion we could have about social media and social media's role in, in all of this is that, you know, when you looked at her TikTok and you looked yep. at her Instagram, it looked like she was having a great time, but they had to call the police because she was having a mental health episode. Yeah. Um, and who knows what was the dynamic between her and her boyfriend. My, my only point to all this is like, like, is, could race be considered a factor in disparity in coverage? I think absolutely. I think the key here is not to pretend it's the sole variable. And so Joy Reid has, I think, a built-in incentive to turn it into the sole variable uh, because, you know, race is her obsession. I mean, it just, that is what she does with her program. But we should consider it as a multivariate thing. Like, obviously, Gabby Petito's case, like I said, is rich elements, you know, her, her attraction plays a role in that. Uh, you know, the fact that we can see the video, you mentioned the fact that she's a social media influencer with some meaningful size audience. The elements are there for this, for some producer somewhere to decide, okay, we're going to make this a national story. And then other outlets start picking it up when they see that it's a a success in the ratings. That's really a reflection of how the audience consumes these things. So Um, that, but, but I, 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 I totally get where you're coming from with that. And there, and there are lots of factors there with Gabby Petito, but when we go back even before social media, right? You know, someone being blonde and attractive by you, you know, normal or not, not even normal, normalized U.S. standards mm-hmm. that puts black people at a disadvantage. Because guess what? People in in Oklahoma aren't viewing my daughter as attractive simply because she's black. Yeah, you know the what media. I mean? They're not seeing her the same way. They're not seeing her sympathetically. And there is something. There yep. is an actual academic name for this. It's actually called adultification. If you look it up, black girls are seen as less vulnerable. It came out of, it was research out of Georgetown. And I I hope our viewers actually look this up. And I know we're supposed to be doing this as a short clip thing, but 
this is a longer conversation. So um, adultification and adultification bias showed that adults think black girls need less nurturing, are less vulnerable, know more about sex. These are the, the beliefs of adults about black girls. And mm -hmm. it starts at age five. We're starting, we think black girls, hey, you can take care of yourself. You don't need that hug when you cry. You know, you don't need that love. You don't need that, that comfort. You don't need that protection, you know, and it starts at age five. That is I, heartbreaking. Can, can I ask it? Let me, let me ask you a question on this then. I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm just only thinking about it as you're saying it. So I yeah. just, you know, this is, these are all fresh ideas, but among them, the, the suggestion is that, you know, black girls are seen as more rugged and more capable, more individual and, and less vulnerable, less dependent, right? That's essentially what um, I'm hearing from you. There's the other. So one of the reasons for that might be that as a society that black girls often have to assume roles of independence and leadership and adulthood quicker than girls of other races, because they typically live in, on average, higher average, more broken households. Right. So a young a young girl is going to be expected to adopt um, a leadership role uh, much more rapidly in an environment like that on average. Is that is that a safe way to think about this? Is that a good? Is that I, a I, I don't agree with that. Um, number one, I think it, it leans into a lot of things um, that have been disproven. Like, for example, the idea of the absent black father. Um, that's a trope that's been disproven through research. They've actually shown that black fathers are the most involved in their children's lives. Among the uh, ones who are there, right? No, well, this is. Uh, for ones that live in the household and yeah. ones who live outside of the household in terms of child rearing duties. Okay. That black fathers are the most involved in their children's lives. Um, and so that, you know, even if a child lives, doesn't live with their father, their father is oftentimes very involved in their lives. So I, I want to make that clear. The other thing okay. is, I think this is just perception that black women are, you know, it's, it's this myth of the black superwoman, you know? And I think that being a black person in, in America is this unique sensation of being seen as subhuman and superhuman at the same time. People, you know, they've already done research that says that black people don't experience, uh, people believe, medical professionals believe black people don't experience pain the same way. There are people that believe this some kind of superhuman thing that black people have. And then starting at age five, what, what five-year-old girl, you know, that hasn't been abused, doesn't need protection, right. doesn't need comfort, right. knows about sex. These are troubling things that people believe. Now think about how that affects how they're taught, mm -hmm. how they're valued, how policed when they show up, and you tell them my daughter's missing, how they're going to treat it. You know, I, I, I had someone hit me up because, you know, I have a little bit of a Facebook audience and they were like, this little black girl is missing, you know, and they had to clarify something that I've never seen anyone else have to clarify. They, they clarified just, they were like, she's not abused. You know, her family loves her. And it's like, you didn't have to tell me that. All you had to tell me was she was missing. You know what I mean? Like, and I was going to put it up on my social media, but there's this assumption, 
if a black kid goes missing, they ran away, they're abused, you know, they're being mistreated. Um, and I think that we need to, as a society, understand that black parents love their children. Yeah. That black children are children. You know what I mean? Even sometimes when black children act unruly, they're still children. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think everyone is trying to highlight there. And then when we talk about, you know, black women, why is it that we have this idea that, that white women need to be protected more than black women do? Right. You know, and, and that's the frustrating thing that I think people are saying well, when they see all this for the last two decades, when a white woman disappears, yes. it becomes national news. You know what? I agree with you. I agree with you on a lot here, I think. And, and the biggest thing for me is that the media, the media is not really in the humanizing business. The media is where we get so much of like, like whatever sort of like bigotry or, or prejudice exists, a lot of it is channeling through these institutions, meaning like the media specifically. Um, and, and it's a real disservice to the country because, you know, what they, what they're doing is failing to humanize people. This is why like, you know, like gun crime in Chicago is never treated the same way. It's like, you know, black, black people dying like, oh yeah, that's kind of a routine experience. Let's just keep moving on. And, uh, that's not the way it should be handled. I think it should be treated like it's an actual human rights crisis. And it is. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, the, the primary thing with, with Joy, Joy Reid, was saying is it's not a critique of Gabby Petito or of her family or, yes. or of their right to get justice. And I hope that they find uh, Mr. Laundry, I believe his name is Brian Laundry. Yeah. Brian Laundry. I hope they find him and can get some answers from him. Uh, of course, we don't know, you know, what his level of involvement, if, if at all is. So I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want people to think that that's what I'm saying is that he's somehow involved or guilty of something that that's not what I'm saying, but I hope, but I do think that he's acting suspicious. That's for was, sure. He went he missing was the last person to see her. And, yeah. you know, we certainly need some answers from him. Um, but I think this is really a cry and a wake up call for the media, even, even for uh, Joy Reid herself, this is a wake right. up call for Joy Reid to say, wait, when black people go missing, I need my producers to look around the country and see, you know, which one of these cases can I highlight? Can I help a family find their loved one? These Native American women, 710 of them, their families mm -hmm. love them. Can we, can we find, you know, uh, is there a, a case I can highlight, a person I can bring on the show? Every now and again, I understand we talk, you know, that her show talks politics just like our show does. Right. You know, uh, and and we have lots of issues and, you know, having that be the the issue every week um, is, is tough and, and parsing out which one to make national news is difficult. But yeah. still, you know, there can be times where maybe you know, this is a, this is something that the media needs to take hold of. And I'm glad she's highlighting Jelani Day and, and the other young man uh, that's missing, you know, because yes, men go missing too. Uh, men get assaulted too. Men get murdered too. So this is, I think, important. And hopefully the media, this isn't just a passing situation where 
we see one case, so we have to say, oh, it's, but let's highlight this one. Hopefully, this is something moving forward that the mainstream media that has bigger platform than than you and I do at this moment. Um, we'll see. We'll see about that in a year, mainstream media. But you know, right now with, with what they have, that they use their resources um, to look at these issues yeah. for for some look, of these communities. There's a big story. There's a big story in here that I don't know if Joy Reid meant to bump into it, but she's definitely bumping into it. The biggest sin the media will commit is the stuff that they omit. It's the things they don't tell you uh, in the press that need to be focused on a lot more. And there's a lot they leave out. Uh, we Absolutely. we try we try not to do that here. Jason Nichols, it was great to talk to you. I got to run today, man, but. Yeah, uh, it was a good conversation, as always, with you on a Friday. Right. And and shout out to our producer, Gary. I know that he's having a heart attack that we went on so long on that last segment. But that's what we do. Gary, suck it up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, this is Vincent Jason. We're on every Monday, Wednesday and Friday on every platform uh, that you can find a podcast as well as YouTube, as well as Facebook. Watch. We're brought to you by Gold Co. And uh you know, Vince, thanks for this great conversation. Thanks for hearing me out. Uh, love doing this with you. See you next week. See you next week.